I didn't even, I didn't understand the fact that once I opened up a clinic, I was no longer a physical therapist first. Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello again. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions. You know, I was talking the other day with a friend of mine, and he was telling me he runs a business that's outside of outside of healthcare. So we were just shooting um, shooting back and forth some questions and answers, kind of what's working for him, what's working for us, what we're doing, what he's doing. He told me he's spending X number of dollars, a lot of money, on marketing. And I said, oh, okay, like, how much is that generating you in the form of leads and conversions? What's your conversion rate? What's all that? And he said, I don't know. I just know I'm spending this much money on the marketing every month. I said, yeah, but how much revenue is that bringing in? He said, I don't know. I couldn't track that for you. So I went on my little soapbox here, but I'm, I'm going to share it here because I think it's very relevant, especially in healthcare, especially if you're trying to go direct to consumer or direct to, to patient with your marketing efforts. Let's say, for example, you're spending X number of dollars, let's call it 100 bucks a week on advertising, 400 bucks a month, which is pretty low, but let's say you're doing that. How many patients is that $400 a month bringing you? And then how much revenue on the back end do you stand to make off of those patients? If you don't know those numbers, you should not be spending a single dime on marketing. So here's an example from a clinic that I worked with uh, in the past, and I'm just going to break down the numbers. We'll walk you through it real quick, and then we'll dive right into the episode, which is talking with uh, a private practice owner who sold his practice, and now he's doing something really cool with EMGs. But let's just say, for example, you run an ad for three days, um, and this I'm just going to read you from from what we've done here. So it was three days that we ran this ad that generated nine leads for $21.14 total ad spend. So we spent about $2.35 per lead. The client closed about, it was 33, so we closed three of those visits. Um, So uh, three visits scheduled off of those nine leads. So that's that. Now they averaged a 93% arrival rate on their evals. So if you did the, the math, that means that they were, they. Uh, averaged out off of these three, they could expect about 2.79 visits. We'll round down to two since you can't have 0.79 patients show up. Typically, this clinic averaged 12 visits per new consult over six weeks. So one consult equals 12 visits, eight this month and four in the following month. So conservative revenue based off of their last 10 EOBs for the payers that were there were approximately $90 visit. One was a little over, one was a little under. So we'll call it 90. So the final numbers were after three days and $21 in ad spend, they had two new patients, 24 scheduled visits, 21, well, $2,160 in total potential revenue. And that was $1,440 in revenue this month over the first you know, four weeks and $720 the next month, all for about $21.14 in ad spend. So obviously, if you ask, is that marketing effort worth it? The answer is absolutely. But if you don't know any of those numbers beforehand, there's no way to evaluate that. Like, sure, now that we know that, that it'll take $21, you know, in this one example, to get two patients, it'll generate out $2,100 in revenue. So you're talking like 100 times ad spend, right? Um, It makes sense. And we can just, you know, the way I look at marketing is if you find something that works, you're putting a dollar in, you're making a dollar fifty out, then you just back a truck full of cash up there and you dump it in that machine, right? Um, but if you don't know the numbers, you don't know if you're dumping the, the money in the right place or not. So um, just a little bit of a uh, story from my own life and why it's important to know your numbers. If you want to know more specifically and kind of get really nitpicky about it, we do have 
um, a webinar series on the website, rehabupracticesolutions.com. You can go to webinars and webcasts, and it's called the Direct uh, to Consumer Marketing web series. I think there's like eight or nine uh, videos and webinars in there that walk you through everything from, from the positioning to the numbers to the actual implementation of a marketing system direct to consumer. If you want to learn more and have a chat about it, you can head on over to marketing.rehabupracticesolutions.com. Uh, schedule a time to chat with me. I'd love to talk with you about your clinic and if there's a way we can help you. All righty, moving on. This week, we are sitting down with Nathan Shields. He is the uh, owner, co-owner of Rise Diagnostics. He's a physical therapist and he does EMGs, needle EMGs. Uh, that's why his company's called Rise Diagnostics, right? Um, we have a conversation this week about sort of a wide breadth of issues in private practice healthcare. Nathan shares a good bit of information about consulting and the role that growing as a business owner and the role of consultants and getting advice and working on the business instead of in the business and what that did to his clinic and practice as he prepared to sell. Now, he was involved in a roll-up where they ended up selling. We had talked to Will Humphreys a while back about a roll-up and what that means. So you can go back and check out that episode if you want to. But basically, he was able to sell his practice, Nathan, for a a lot more than the national average. And that was because of partly what they did with the roll-up, but then also the way his business was running um, in that he was not necessarily in the practice every day treating patients. He was managing the practice. And he even said that at some point in this interview, he said, I, for, I, I did not realize when I started this practice that I was no longer a physical therapy for physical therapist first and a practice owner second. I was a practice owner or a business owner first and a phys that happened to be a physical therapist, um, which is, I think, is a big insight. So anyways, then we dove in a little bit to this kind of just my own curiosity and nerdiness here about EMGs and the, the ins and outs of running uh, an EMG diagnostic practice as a physical therapist, kind of the ins and outs of that, how does it work, referral-wise, all of that kind of thing, um, which was just an interesting conversation. So hopefully you find this conversation insightful. Without further ado, here's Nathan Shields talking about being a business owner, a practice owner, and then running a unique or a niche practice uh, in and of itself in uh, EMG and diagnostics. Well, hey, Nathan, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on, Rafi. Yeah, thanks for, for being on. I'm excited to talk with you about, well, all things PT business and then really focusing on this this whole idea of EMGs. But before we do mm -hmm. that, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, your PT journey, and then what led you to doing what you're doing now at Rise uh, Diagnostics. Yeah, sure. Well, um, Nathan Shields, I've been a physical therapist since 1999, I guess. Opened my first clinic in 2002 um, out in Arizona and uh, eventually expanded, opened up another clinic in a small town outside of Phoenix called Florence, Arizona. Brought on someone to manage that and run that for me. Um, he eventually bought it from me and then we opened up another clinic and through all these little chest piece movements, we, uh, decided to merge our clinics together. So we had four and five clinics at one time, uh, come together in the Southeast portion of Phoenix. Um, and it, what's interesting about our journey and, and it's very comparable to a lot of PT owners out there. Who have suffered and struggled is <clears throat> we went about it on our own for a long long time longer than i should have and if i were, were to talk to my younger self i would be definitely <laughs> recommending getting some coaching or consulting earlier on in my business ownership journey uh but once we did get some coaching and consulting we really started th seeing things change for the better both in terms of personal life business development development of leaders within our company um, just simply taking the time to work on our businesses uh, resulted in making great progress. You know, no longer was I waking up at four in the morning to get notes done before I saw my first patients at 6.30 or 7 and then get home at 7 or 8 o'clock at night and thus miss my newborn baby being awake for three oh, or yeah. four days at a time. I don't know, maybe some of the listeners can 
relate to that, but um, or going on vacation and getting phone calls in the middle of vacation two and three times a day because, of course, when you're gone, I'll help. I'll help. Yeah, that's first. when things break. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, just to see significant transformations in our business um, over that time, and, and stop me if I'm going too far into this. No, stuff, no, this is all this super is just, helpful. Yeah, my kind of my journey as it relates to business ownership. Um, I really started to make a change when I started focusing on the business. And it was, it's funny because I talk to owners now who uh, come in to get coaching with me and they say, well, I want to, I just, I just want to treat, right. I want to treat and I want to have a business that runs. And I didn't even, I didn't understand the fact that once I opened up a clinic, I was no longer a physical therapist first. You know, yeah. we, we tend to see ourselves as, therapists who own a business when the narrative needs to immediately change as soon as you hang that shingle to i'm a business owner who happens to be a physical therapist and it, even now it still takes time for me to change that narrative in my head when people say what do you do well i'm you know i bumble around and i say well i'm a physical therapist by trade but i haven't treated a patient in i don't know how many years yeah exactly <laughs> you know? but and it's so, interesting um, right like as clinicians, you know, we go, we go into healthcare from this sense of, you know, call it a calling or a mission or a vocation or whatever, but like our identity is very much tied in this, um, this purpose of helping people, right? Like this is what we mm -hmm. are, almost who we are. So it, it yeah. it's very difficult to kind of decouple yourself from that. Like, oh, yes. I'm not the guy treating patients anymore. I'm the guy managing a team or making sure the business metrics are where they need to be. Or right. Whatever. Right. And, and, and we never had any training on that. Right. We never got any business training on how to run a business. And so we can we continue to see ourselves as therapists first. And I what I see as I'm coaching patients or coaching clients, PT owners specifically, and as and, and, and it's a mindset that I had to shift in myself as well as I had to recognize that I was no longer just a physical therapist who owned a clinic, but I was a, a, a owner that is a physical therapist and once i made that transition is when i started seeing changes in my business and started making business decisions that were in the best interest of the business that ultimately helped me personally as an owner both in my personal life you know i had more free time i actually had more profits and my my effect on the community and on the number of patients that i was able to influence increased because yeah. I wasn't treating them one-on-one. -on -one. Now my influence could be greater, great, greatly expanded um, simply by coaching the physical therapists that worked with me, worked under me, right? Yeah. And if they're doing better and getting better results and seeing more patients and selling better plans of care and getting patients to come in at a greater frequency in their benefits to see get greater results faster, then my influence and my effect in the community and my surroundings was greater. And so I, I definitely see as I'm coaching clients, as they make that, they, they don't really make a lot of big changes in their businesses until they make that mindset shift that they need to make business decisions first that will better influence the clinic and not let patient care um, hold them back. Honestly, that's what it's doing. And so um, made some of those changes, of course, things went well, my business partner and I entertained a number of offers to sell over the years, which was a really good experience. And, and I recommend if anyone's coming at you to buy your business, I, I recommend doing the song and dance with them for a little bit. Yeah, go just through to, the motions. Just, just go through the motions and understand what it's like, even if you're not really planning on selling. Um, and I honestly wouldn't accept your first offer, uh, because better offers come down the road. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but especially for someone who hasn't even been thinking that way, you know, like just the, just getting a request of, you know, bullet points of we need these metrics and we need, you know, your payer mix and we need all these, you know, forms and financials like that in and of itself is enough to jar some people into, OK, I need to get my business button gear and right. <laughs> get some of this stuff in order. Yeah, because you I, some some of those things you're thinking that's uh, not a big deal. I don't mean I mean. Why should I have all my insurance contracts on file? Yeah, exactly. Well, as someone who's going to buy you wants to see your contracts, right? Yeah. Uh, should I have a certificate of good stand? We had to pr provide, I never knew they they existed, but there were certificates, 
certificates of good standing with the state of Arizona that they want to, I didn't know they existed. So I had to go through the department of commerce and find those things. Um, and then your, you know, your taxes and your financials, all that stuff. Nonetheless, um, we finally started, we got a lot of that stuff together and a friend approached us. Let's see, we sold about four and a half, five years ago. A friend approached us probably five, a year before that and said, Hey, I I'm selling some of my clinics and I have an offer on the table, but I know I could get more for my clinics if I grouped a number of other clinics together, loosely held clinics who presented themselves as one on the marketplace, we could get more for our clinics than if we could just sold them ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And not knowing who's listening and if they understand, but many times you'll get what's called a multiple of your EBITDA yeah. uh, when you go to sell um, just to make things a little bit easier uh it's a it could be a multiple of say your bottom line profit yeah essentially typically we're sitting around like uh well it depends where part of the country at but like it's you know three three to four times EBITDA is is pretty standard yeah pretty standard and i i think even five or six years ago i might have been talking two or three yeah but three or four uh three or four times your bottom line profit for uh would be a purchase price or like a ballpark figure for what your purchase price would be um but we knew if we got a number of clinics together that that could be like eight nine and ten times multiple of your purchase price radical difference right so we started calling friends and acquaintances who's interested in selling who's interested in selling and we just kind of have had this loosely held non-disclosure agreement between all of us that if we came to the market and achieved a double digit multiple, a 10 X multiple on our EBITDA that we would agree to sell. And so we got 16 clinics together uh, between Southern California, Arizona, and Louisiana of all places. Yeah. <laughs> and, Jump and, a couple uh, States. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, and we decided to sell and, and this was, like I said, we had entertained a number of offers before. We knew exactly what we wanted in terms of a, a like a dollar figure and what the exchange was like. And we weren't going to do any kind of um, uh, uh, payouts where incentive-based payouts. It was going to be... Yeah, like earnouts at the end or something. No earnouts, none of that stuff. Don't do that. It was just strictly 80-20. You're, you're going to give us cash and some of us will agree to stay on to run... The administrative part of it for a period of time and and, and um the 20 percent will come in, in stock later on so we sold out to a private equity company in in arizona uh in the meantime like uh, all of this time and a little bit before we sold um will my business partner and i decided to get into diagnostics right and so we had talked to a company called hands-on diagnostics they're out of new york and they trained us on EMGs and musculoskeletal ultrasound. And this was probably about eight years ago. It was well prior to our sale. And we were looking for other avenues of income and that kind of stuff. And we considered the typical things, whether it was having a gym model, right? Or um, selling supplements or- Yeah, all just, that kind of stuff. Selling something stuff. clinic or you know having yeah, yeah, a program, yeah. yeah. And, and we we really liked this idea simply because it it, it was within our scope of practice and it could be integrated into the patient care. Right. Yeah. And so we got into that. I in particular took over the diagnostics portion of the business on an organizational chart. We had a separate organization altogether for diagnostics business. And so I came over to the other side of, to that organization and ran the diagnostic side while Will um, handled some of the day-to-day stuff in our PT business. And so I was focused on developing that. And Will had this bright idea of doing diagnostics in Alaska because they reimbursed really that well. many. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's what it was. They, he's, we were sitting in a conference and we had talked to a friend at lunchtime. He was from Alaska doing diagnostics and told us what they were getting reimbursed. And we're like, that's crazy. Well, Will took it a step further and spent the rest of the afternoon like writing down numbers. How are we gonna <laughs> how are we gonna get to Alaska, write it off on the business and maybe make some extra cash? <laughs> and so honestly, that's where it started. Um and we just started working that way. We start I came I started coming up to Alaska once or twice a week or a month, sorry, uh from Arizona to 
uh, do EMGs in an area where there was a huge demand for them. And business started getting busier, uh, hired on someone to market for me and got start, started getting busier still. And my wife just one time said, well, maybe we just need to move up there. I'm kind of sick of you commuting yeah. to Alaska a couple times a month. And then I was occasionally going to New York for training. Um, so we, it, it was a big decision. Uh, you know, I'm, there was a lot that went into it, but yeah. eventually we moved up to Alaska six years ago and uh, been doing diagnostics up here since then. Um, and not, not any PT, actually. We're, we just have a diagnostics clinic a small office that does EMGs a couple times a week for the local uh, providers. And uh, uh, me and my family have been up here for six years. And then we sold, like I said, we sold our clinics about four and a half years ago. And since then I've been doing a podcast just like you. I do some business coaching and consulting. I do annual strategic planning sessions for business owners. Just did one for a nonprofit charity organization this last week, which was nice. Fun. So, and getting into a lot of real estate investment stuff. So it's been quite a journey because I was like that physical therapist that wanted to get some coaching to improve my business so I could just treat patients. Yeah, exactly. Right. I just want to <laughs> take all that stuff off my hands. That's the headache and I'll just treat patients. But once I got into that stuff, uh, now I'm kind of, uh, I don't, I, I've treated patients uh, here and there over the past couple of years on and off and uh, it's not fulfilling anymore, honestly. Like I get more fulfillment um, teaching PT owners how to become profitable and changing their lives because I know when I'm changing their lives and helping them become profitable, then their providers are providing better care. They're yeah, absolutely being more productive. And when I mean more productive, they're seeing their patients more frequently for the full plan of care and not discharging early and that kind of stuff. And that that gets me excited when when I get to see help other PT owners who used to be in a situation or who are in the situation that I used to be in, right? With little free time, a lot of family demands, no vacation time and help them free themselves from that. That gets me super pumped. Yeah, no. And I think, you know, as somebody, so I bought a clinic a while back because I figured, you know, like what else am I going to do? I'm going to buy a clinic. Um, and it wasn't <laughs> being a solo consultant for years in, in the like independent healthcare uh, consultancy, like it's a lot different. And I was, I was telling somebody the other day, like I was used to kicking in the door in an organization be like, you're screwing up this, 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 and that I'll be back in two weeks, you know, make sure that the numbers are right when I get back. Um, yeah. and then when you, when you actually have a clinic and you've got these people that are coming to you, you're like, Oh man, I'm the guy that's like fixing, I'm supposed to be fixing this. But, um, yeah. I talk to clinic owners all the time who just, they want to become, they want to keep doing their clinic thing. They want to treat all the patients and they kind of want to let the the team manage itself, you know? And it's like, at some level, yeah. like you need to be, I, I refer to it as like a moral imperative. Like it, the, the, the highest use of your time is leading and developing the team. Right. And it's totally. that shift is very, very uh, hard for folks. Like I said, that, that view ourselves as clinicians or, you know, like, yeah. like our identity is tied up as, as almost healers, not to sound yeah. chintzy or anything like that, but that we went to school to, to help people and it's hard not well, to yeah, want to do yeah. that. And when you say went to school, let's, let's be honest about it. You spent probably 20 years of your life, if not yeah. more, all re all, all in order to obtain this pinnacle of being a physical therapist. Like that's the ultimate goal of 25 years of training, if you look back on it. I'm going to elementary school, junior high, high school, college, graduate school, so I could be blank, physical therapist, yeah. right? And now I'm coming at you as a coach and you as a consultant as well, and saying, you're not a physical therapist anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's a strike to your identity. You're, I mean, it's like your purpose, your identity, everything you've built up to is like, what are you talking about? I'm a physical therapist what else do I do if I'm not a physical therapist? And I think that's where the mindset gets, has a hard time shifting. It's easy for me to say, you're not a physical therapist anymore. You're now you're a business owner who happens to own a physical therapy clinic. That mindset shift isn't easily accepted and understood for, it takes some time. Yeah. Well, I wonder how much of that too is like, how many of us have spent our days in the clinic running around treating patients? I mean, like, what is the manager doing kicking his feet up in there? 
in the office all day. We don't want to be that, you know, like we want yeah. to be in there with, with everybody else treating and getting our hands dirty and, you know, all that yeah. camaraderie. As well, well. And, and the funny thing is, as I'm talking to, as I'm talking to owners is there is that fear every time, no matter what, like if I'm not treating patients with my team, if I'm not boots on the ground, what are they going to think of me? Yeah. Right. They, that's always a fear and almost always never comes to pass <laughs> because when it when it's when it's um when the message is relayed appropriately and 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 they really come to understand it it is i need to step back from treating in order to run a better business and when i do so it will benefit everybody here in this room uh, and and typically the people who are on board and value aligned with you will nod their heads and say Yep, that's right. There is crap that's going on in our clinic and our business right now that you're not taking care of because you're treating patients. Yeah, exactly. and they see it and they know it. And, the, and, and when you tell them, here's my solution, I'm not going to treat patients anymore. I'm going to fix the crap that's going down. Then they, the people who are aligned, remember that qualifier, the people who are aligned are the ones who will say, yeah, I get it. The people who aren't aligned and are like, you're just you just want to kick your feet up in the in the office or whatnot. They don't usually last too long, honestly. And when you yeah. make when I'm when I'm started making changes for the better of my business, um, the people who weren't aligned, they came, they rose. Yeah, they self-selected the out. Yeah, they self-selected. Well, it took. Hard, <laughs> I had to learn the hard way that you need to fire fast and hire slow. <laughs> um, uh, but I should have fired them faster than I did. <clears throat> Never regretted firing anyone that I did. And I wish I would have done it sooner, but uh, they, I had to go through that process. Right. And they, they self-selected, uh, and, and I ended up having to let them go and found better replacements that were aligned. And then I got better at interviewing and finding, determining what my values were and what I was looking for in an employee, or, or I should say a team member. Right. Um, and so that that's a learning process, yeah. but during this entire time, the business got better. My life got better. My opportunities for my employees got better that, you know, they now have leadership paths because I was pulling myself out of the, what essentially was the clinic director position. Now, now they had a, a way to grow into the clinic director position and I hated marketing. And now as I, as I'm working on the business, I had a PTA who loved marketing. I'm like, okay, Hey, you can PTA, but I'll leave, I'll pay you to even go out and not PTA, but market for me. And she exactly. was all aglow. She, that, she was like my, she thought that was the dream job. And I mean, someone has to like marketing. It's not me. Uh, <laughs> so I'll pay you to go do it. <laughs> and so all these opportunities arose. And when we went to sell of those 16 clinics, ours were four of them. We had the highest profit margins of any of the other owners. Um, our team, our culture, the leaders that went into the next organization that bought us came from our clinics. I mean, we were really proud of what we developed over that time. And it was because we decided to start working specifically on the business. Yeah. So you mentioned it earlier, but let's, let's go back to that. What was the, what was the deciding factor that finally pushed you to make that call to a coach or a consultant or, or say like, Oh, I need some, some help outside of just treating more patients. You know, I think when, when things are going wrong in the business, we're like, Oh, we'll just treat more patients and we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, I, I will say we, we tried once uh, the wrong way to hire like an office manager over the multiple clinics uh -huh. you know, without giving her any training. Um, you know, she just came with a good resume and we didn't really hold her accountable. We just kind of did what we treated and she managed the office stuff that didn't go over well. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and then, you know, one time Will said, uh, Hey, I'm going to go to this training up in Seattle for business consulting. It's, you know, I think I paid, he paid a thousand or 2000 bucks for it, but I can bring someone else for free. Why don't you come with? And so we went up to this training and we got some, just some nominal business training. Right. And I, it, it hit me there. And I don't, you'd have to ask Will what he, what his feelings were at the time, but he agreed. But I remember sitting there and say, uh, I just had an opportunity to, from perspective to say, I can't keep doing this anymore. What, whatever's happening now just can't keep going on. Um, and I had said that 
in different ways over the years. Like if I'm, and I'd say that to patients that I knew well or friends and family, like if I'm still doing this in another five to 10 years, I'm gonna get burned out, right? And so when this consulting group, you know, gave me the, the proposal, which was tens of thousands of dollars to do business coaching with them, I looked at it like, well, I, I've got to do something and I'm willing to pay the money to make the changes that I need to make so that my business runs better and becomes more of an ideal scene that I want. And so we made that commitment financially. We started getting the training. We went to Seattle on a regular basis to get the consulting that we needed um, and eventually paid for consulting for our leaders to get the same training that we did. And once we did that, it was geez I, I wouldn't say it <laughs> wasn't hands off but we were getting close by the time we sold um we had a, a solid leadership team in place and things were going pretty well um it, it was it, it was a good situation so it, it was that point where i finally understood uh, i something's got to change I, yeah. I just have to you know you don't do anything usually until the pain is so much that you actually have to do something uh and i guess i was at that point yeah yeah, it's interesting. It's always funny to hear um, kind of what drives people's people's decisions. Some people come at it from different angles, but I think a lot of people are like at the position where they're like, I just can't keep doing this. They realize something has to change. You know, I've done this in my own career too. Like something has to change. I just said, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like what, what yeah. am I going to do? And you got to find somebody who's, who can get you there. Um, right. And, 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 it, and what's funny investment. is that it wasn't, uh, there were, I wasn't having financial issues. Like financial, financially, we were doing fine. We were doing great, right? Um, I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't say great. It's not we were like we were living high on the hog, but we were doing fine. Finan financials weren't the issue. It, my lifestyle and what I expected out of my life was not where I wanted it to be. And uh, a lot of that might have to do with the fact that I had six kids at the time. And now I have Oh, seven. wow, yeah. So yeah, there was a demand on my yeah. <laughs> family time and stuff like that. Um, so that that definitely was a part of it. It was just I wasn't experiencing what I wanted to experience as what I dreamed a business owner would live like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well then let's talk a little bit. So you you did the consulting, you got the business running well. You've talked a little bit about that that involved leadership development on your team part, kind of delegating on your part. Um mm -hmm. when it came time to sell, you were doing the diagnostics before. I'm assuming you just carved that out of the of the sale and that the, whoever bought you didn't purchase the diagnostics portion or did you just go right. ahead and just you know reconstitute it in in alaska and, and keep trucking no uh, so we set it up um organizationally we had our separate llcs all set up so the diagnostics was a separate llc okay right From so the it beginning. Had a, it's own, yeah it's not had its own tax id number um we also had uh um an umbrella company at this time. So the umbrella, there was this holding company at the top, if you could imagine an organizational chart, a holding company at the top. And that's where Will and I lived. And our billing company was up in the or it was up in this umbrella company. So all of the four clinics, uh, this might be interesting to those who have multiple clinics, yeah. but all the four clinics would all pay uh what 15 or 18, maybe even 20% of their revenues up to the umbrella company. And out of that, we would pay our billers and our salaries, our executive salaries um, out of that umbrella company. And then the, other, the clinics had their own financials outside of that, but you know, made money. Yeah. Of that. So, uh, so that's how it ran. And, and underneath that umbrella company were the four distinct clinics, um, a real estate holding company that owned one of our clinics uh, office space and the diagnostics company. And yeah, so when they bought the, when they bought the company, we just carved out the real estate holding and the diagnostics. And even, the, I don't even think they took the umbrella company. They just bought those four LLCs. The clinics themselves. The clinics. Yeah, that's a long-winded answer to your question. Yeah, yeah, no, it, <laughs> it, it, it's helpful. So um, I guess then, so you sold and it was, you just said it was, it was more than you would have gotten normally. Yeah. <laughs> um, what made you decide one, I'm already up here in Alaska doing EMGs, so I'm going to keep doing that. Um, and then I guess, I guess that's the question. So, what made you decide to keep doing that after you sold? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, so I was 
I was headed down this path anyway, and that is to become board certified. Yeah. Um, in the PT realm, it's to become ECS, electromyography certification, certified specialist. And so I was heading down that path already. And I'm not one for change. Like the idea of just stopping doing that probably never came to mind. Like, yeah. I, I, I was headed down that path and I was just going to keep going down that path because I was already on that path. So um, I, I simply continue to study. You have to hit so many EMGs. I can't remember how many it is, 500, something like that. Um, and then you have to submit for the exam and take the board exam. So I was doing all this, um, getting ready to do this prior to the sale. And so it just continued after the sale. And, and yeah. I was doing all those tests up here in Alaska. Um, and so I, I just kept going down that path, took the board exam and eventually passed the board exam. Thank you very much. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> More, and I can proudly say I'm the only board certified electromyographer PT in the state of Alaska. Um, as of now, this is 2023. My, yeah. um, my team member, uh, Casey Buckland, he's taken the board exam just a few weeks ago. So hopefully he's the second. Oh, cool deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That'd be great. Uh, and so yeah, we just, I decided to keep it going and it was, it's something, it was something that number one, kept me busy. Number two, just provided a little bit of cash flow. Uh, so, you know, it was nice. I just kept doing it. Yeah. It's funny, you know, you talk to people and I, I talked to a guy the other day who, um, he's on the health tech side of things, did a startup, sold it for multiple millions, tens of millions of dollars. Wow. Um, and he's still cranking away on something else. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? He's like, well, like, what am I going to do? Like sit and retire. Like there's some people that are just, they're, they're yeah. going to keep building. They're going to keep working. They're going to keep doing something um, because it isn't so much about the the money so much as it is like, I'm already on the path to do this, or I already had this idea and now I've got the freedom to to do it and not have to worry about, so much about it. So it's interesting to hear like, oh, you sold and now you're doing an EMG company, <laughs> like you're doing yeah. diagnostics. Well, and you also hear the other the other side of the stories occasionally where people sell their companies, make a lot of money, and then blow all the cash within a couple yeah. of years and have to find something else to do. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, and, and I didn't want to be that person, um, but it's been, and, and this is a real situation for people who are looking to sell, is what are you going to do afterwards? It's a real existential question. Like, yeah. I'm, this is almost five years now, 2023. We sold in 2018, and I'm still kind of looking for my next thing if you will i'm doing a lot of these things i'm not really busy at any of them like i have the emg clinic but i'm not doing the emgs myself um i have real estate and that's relatively passive um i do the business coaching and consulting but i mean i'm not going 40 hours a week coaching people every week yeah so um and it's not something i really look to scale up because the limitations are my time and I still want to maintain a certain lifestyle. So yeah, it, it's like, what do I do next is, is always like, it's, I'm still kind of searching. And so for people who are looking to sell, it's a really important question. Like, what are you going to do after you sell? Like, you, you need to know that ahead of time because Will and myself have been running around looking for things to do. He's, he's, He's one that's been much more busy than I am. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's got a billing company now. Yeah, he's he's running here, there, and everywhere. He was on yeah, the show all, a couple months ago. So <laughs> right, uh, so you know he's he's got all kinds of stuff going on. But uh, yeah, we're, those weren't things that he was expecting to do when we sold. He just kind of fell into them. And it, yeah, it, it's kind of if if you are the type of person who has had a successful ownership in a company, you have the personality where you want to, you, you ex just expect to produce. I mean, I, I need, to, I need to produce. Yeah. And, and if I'm not, then, uh, yeah, I question what I'm doing honestly on this earth kind of, it's like, like an existential question. What am I doing if I'm not producing, but also the money, it, it, it can run out. So I, do need, <laughs> I didn't make that much money that I can just yeah. live high on the hog for the rest of my life. It's not like a I still, billionaire over here. <laughs> no, yeah. I still want to fly first class and I don't think I can afford it. So, uh, so <laughs> I, I still have dreams of making more money so I can fly first class whenever I want. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's my dream. That's my next goal. 
Yeah, well, and those tickets to and from Alaska are a little expensive too. <laughs> yeah, they get, uh, yeah, especially when you got seven kids and hauling them back and forth. Yeah, you know. seven. Holy smokes! Uh, yeah, yeah. I've got five right now. My oldest is eight. My youngest is one. We're you kind of in the thick oh, of it. My. So, oh yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, I, that's exactly what I was dealing with when I'm talking about lifestyle was not fun. Between yeah. <laughs> owning a clinic for full time and having a bunch of young ones in the house. I totally feel your pain. Yeah, yeah. It's fun though. It keeps us uh keeps us entertained if nothing else, right? <laughs> right. Right. All righty. So um you've kind of laid out a little bit. So to get you don't need to be uh EMG board certified, do you, to run EMGs or do you need to practice that under the under the supervision of somebody who is? How does that work? And it maybe it's different from state to state. There is some of that. Yeah. Right? Um, they're, 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 most of the states, I want to say 48 out of the 50 states are okay with PTs doing EMGs. Okay. Um, Oklahoma is the only one that stands out that doesn't allow it. Um, and that's probably because some lobbying by some other interests that they don't like well, it. You yeah. Know, the, um, it's like the physical therapy board is also under the medical board. Yeah. And so the doctors get to decide what the PTs can do. Essentially. Yeah. Um, and it's not a separate board. And, and so, uh, but in most states you can uh, do EMGs under the practice act. I think in California, you have to, in order to start billing insurances, you have to take a state board exam. Huh. Interesting. Um, which is a little bit different. And of course you would expect that from California. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's not, but it's not as hard as the national exam. And then, um, but here's the, here's the thing is depending on the state, well, I will say this in general, Medicare won't pay you full Medicare reimbursement rates until you are board certified. So if you are going to see code involved, yeah, you get the technical component and not the professional component. So it ends up being, I don't know, 150 bucks, 120 bucks versus 400 and 500 bucks. Right. So you can only get the technical component for doing it. And then, um, depending on the state, Medicaid might might not pay for it until you're board certified. Unless, but if you do it, and this was what I was able to do, is I found a nurse practitioner that was willing to supervise. And then uh, we could bill under her and get full reimbursement. And then uh, I could pay a flat rate to her for her supervision, her insurance, her you know billing yeah. expenses, that kind of stuff, um, to to supervise my tests. Right. Uh, so that's how we went about it and, and get in, in order to get more reimbursement. Uh, and then it's from state to state. It's kind of a fight in some insurance companies like Blue Cross Blue Shield in Arizona might pay for, will pay for it in Arizona and then they might not in Florida. Right. Uh, so it kind of varies state to state. And yeah, you're going to do a lot of due diligence on that piece. But um, yeah, like from a standpoint of like, I guess, getting the business or getting that that component of the practice up and running. You need obviously the training. You can't just go out and start. You can't buy an EMG machine. So you need some training, ideally oh, some supervision. You can buy an EMG machine. You won't know how to use it. Okay. You can. Like ethically, you can ethically, <laughs> you should get some training before you yeah, exactly. start stabbing people. Right. Um, so let's, you get that piece. Um, from the marketing standpoint, to the community, to, to referral sources, yeah. was there pushback from doctors or other organizations, maybe neurologists or something like that? Or was there, um, cause I'm thinking the people that we refer yeah. out for EMGs, like, was there pushback from those other providers yeah. or were you going like directly to a DPC or something like a, mm -hmm. a primary care provider and saying, Hey, we can do these and it, yeah. you know, whatever we will, you don't have to wait three months to get in with a neurologist. Well, this is a good, it, it's a good, um, adjunct to the prior question because what you can do well, and let me add to this question, but answer your question first. Yeah. Um, yeah. Depending on where you are, you'll get some pushback. And neurologists aren't going to be happy with you. Uh, some pain medicine docs might be 50-50 on it. Um, I know in Idaho, where my friend is, and up here in Alaska, the local neurologists complained to the board, and they had to do some quote-unquote investigation in order to confirm whether or not we could actually do EMGs with under our practice act. And that delayed payment from my Medicaid for a while, for, sure, like, yeah. for like a year and a half. Right. But it was a fight. And there are lots of PT um, members in the, across the nation that will help you fight. 
that kind of stuff. So if you're into it, don't be afraid. There are plenty of experienced people who know how to handle this kind of stuff that will help you fight that fight. Um, so <clears throat> you'll get some pushback. When I when I did it in Arizona, uh, the the common comments were, I didn't know you guys could do that stuff. And they kind of blew it off. They, they like thought that maybe we were just introducing orthotics or something like that, dry needling in our clinic. And yeah. so they didn't think we were very expert at it. The people who really loved us were the mid-level practitioners in rural settings. Oh, yeah. So, and I see that. I saw that in Arizona. I see that up here in Alaska a lot. But the PAs, the nurse practitioners, <clears throat> they, especially in the rural settings, when they know that my patient's going to have to, number one, wait two months to get one and then drive an hour, hour and a half, two hours to go get it. Wait, you guys are in our already in town and I can get an EMG this week. Well, they absolutely loved us. And, yeah, and, and, the, and the primary care physicians as well in those rural settings really loved us. But even in even up here in Alaska, where we're in our town, it's not totally rural, but um, the nurse, pra most of my referrals come from one of two sources, the middle, the mid-level practitioners or an orthopedic group that doesn't already have neurology on staff. Okay. Like that, those orthopedic groups feed us a ton across the country. I know podiatrists are, are, uh, they favor EMGs a lot. And so they, they like to work with PTs. So I know plenty of um, PTs that work with podiatrists, ortho groups, and mid-level practitioners across the country. And again, it just kind of depends on uh, where you're at and how they look at you. Um, but to, to say all that, one way to get around the, the, the reimbursement issue is to do EMGs for those physicians on site. And so you can okay. set up like that and just start doing tests. They fill your schedule with their clients, you know, five, six EMGs in a day or more. And you come in, you do the test, you leave, and then you just bill them. Directly, whatever the rate is or whatever. Yeah, 150, 200, 250 bucks per test to just do those tests. And that way you get reimbursed. They take care of all the billing. They take care of all the denials. If they come up, they take care of the uh, all that stuff. And so um, and you don't have to necessarily do credentialing per se. You just have to show that you're licensed as a PT. And then uh, in the state, and and they, I don't, and if you're contracted like that, they don't necessarily, I don't know what they have to do regarding credentialing, but it's usually not that difficult. Yeah, yeah, because they're the, then everything's going under their NPIs, their yeah. their business organization, all of that kind of yeah. stuff, and they kind of taking it. So that's like so kind of, that's another way to do it. Like you can you can do it in house. You could do it in your PT clinic, um, and and you know even test your patients with the physician's approval typically you want to have that communication like yeah they would do well with an emg can't tell if this is a carpal tunnel issue versus a radiculopathy um wondering how much nerve damage is happening with this guy with leg pain and numbness and tingling um i think they'd do well with an emg and and the if they sign off willing to sign off it then you can do on the patients in-house but you can also um, do it in the patient in the physician's facility do it externally and uh, make that a business as well. And I know there are plenty of people that have done that and done very well. Profit margins are a lot better, by the way. Yeah. And some of that diagnostic testing in physicians' offices. Uh, you get set up in a an ortho clinic or a podiatrist clinic once or twice a week. They'll fill your schedule with EMGs. You just give them a blank, give them an invoice on a per test basis, and they do pretty well. Yeah. Well, and it, it takes away a lot of the headache. I know a buddy of mine owns a pediatric uh, clinic. He's a he's a PA and he and his physician friend own a pediatric clinic and they're getting somebody to do the same basic thing, but for allergy testing. And the mm. guy that's doing the allergy testing or the group that's doing the allergy testing is just charging them a flat rate per test, right. basically. And they're not dealing with any of the billing or anything. They just give the, the, the pediatricians an invoice at the end of the month and their mm. headaches basically done after they, after they do the test. So setting up the same model for EMGs seems like a pretty, uh, an easier way to do it without having to deal with your own billing and your own denials yeah. and, and all of that in-house. Yeah. It takes a lot of work. The, the EMGs aren't, um, and, and that's the biggest uh, obstacle Hurdle. to getting yep. into something like this is, is um, it's not a, a weekend continuing education course and then you're off and running. Um, I didn't really feel comfortable with my EMG tests and, and I had mentorship. Uh, I had a mentor that reviewed every one of my tests after I completed them and my reports. 
And I didn't really feel comfortable until I got over like 200 tests, 200, yeah. 250. Um, then I was starting to feel more comfortable in number one, my skill set, but also my impressions that were coming from the data that I received. So it takes, a, it take, that's the one thing that's difficult about it. it it's, a, it's a little bit of a mountain to climb. Yeah. So I guess somebody wants to do this. They're listening. They're like, oh, I own a PT clinic. Maybe I'll do um, EMGs or I'm interested in it. Kind of what's that, what's that first step? Are there, are there, are, are there certification courses or, or training courses out there that are more than just a weekend continuing ad? Is there like, are we talking a series of weeks or months of training before you're actually doing an EMG or how does that typically work? Yeah, I don't, I don't know how many organizations are out there training right now. Like I said, the one that I did was through hands-on diagnostics. Um, and and they, they're based out of New York. And their model is much more of a franchise model. Um, uh -huh. So it's not just the training. You're going to actually, quote-unquote, own a territory and that kind of stuff. Um, there are There's also the American Academy of Clinical Electrophysiologists, AACE, but I, I think they also run their partners with hands-on diagnostics. Rocky Mountain University used to have a program. I don't, I don't think it's been going for a couple of years, but they're talking about bringing back up again. And so, because I know the founders were electrophysiologist PTs uh, yeah. of the university itself. And so they're looking about, and they used to train PTs and EMGs. And so they're looking at bringing it back. Um, there are other organizations that maybe are, and so these organizations that I'm talking about are pretty much PT specific. There are organizations that are outside of the PT scope that train techs. Anybody. And, yeah. Yeah. PAs and MDs and DOs and EMGs. Um, and so you can, I just don't know what those yeah. organizations are, honestly, like I said, I, I did it through hands-on diagnostics. And, and so I don't, <laughs> I don't have a lot of exposure to the others, but there are others. Okay. And, um, and the price is very significantly, but also what you're getting varies significantly because you really do want to have some kind of mentorship, someone who's reviewing your reports and giving you feedback and someone you can ask questions of. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then from a, like a business model, we've already kind of discussed doing it in-house versus doing it in the clinic or the, the clinicians or the, the provider's offices. Um, are there any... I guess, concerns about, you know, kickbacks or like self-referrals or, or any of that that you should be aware of when you're starting this, like, oh, I'm going to do, you know, you're coming for your wrist sprain and, oh, maybe we'll do an EMG just to rule out carpal tunnel and, or, you know, whatever, whatever they, you know, I'm sure people are thinking of the, the ways that you can milk the system, right? Well, there could be, but I, I think it's pretty easy to, um, to substantiate medical necessity. Yeah. When you have someone... If you have someone with numbness and tingling, there is a question for nerve damage. And it, and I think that's okay. I, that in and of itself, I think would be alone to substantiate medical necessity to rule out what's going on. And especially take, for example, numbness and tingling in the hand. Where could numbness and tingling in the hand come from? Yeah. If you're, everywhere, thinking, yeah. Differential, if you're thinking differential diagnoses, there, there's all kinds of stuff that could be happening. It could be median nerve. It could be ulnar nerve. It could be radial nerve. It could be a brachial plexus thing. It could be a radiculopathy. It could be a polyneuropathy from their diabetes yeah. that they have. It could be, and and yeah. even if I said ulnar nerve, is it a compression of the ulnar nerve at Guyon's canal or is it the cubital tunnel, right? Yeah. Um, and so, or is it further up the arm? Who knows? But um, that that alone, would, for, as an example, would be enough medical necessity to say, if I'm going to treat this as a physical therapist, I need to know what I'm treating and where, because my approach is going to be different. My plan of care is going to exactly. be different, depending on the diagnosis or what comes back and where the nerve damage is. And if there's any nerve damage at all, right? Maybe it's, yeah. maybe this is a trigger point point issue more so than any nerve damage at all. So, um, so I think it's pretty easy typically to substantiate uh, medical necessity in that regard. And, and I, and I would, I have to put in a plug, for musculoskeletal ultrasound as well, because uh -huh. it's one thing with an EMG to get uh, information regards to the, the health of the nerves in, in the periphery, but it's another thing to actually get the picture of what's happening. And I think musculoskeletal ultrasound is gonna be taken up by the, prof by the profession in general 
much more like dry needling has over the past 10 uh -huh. years. Um, I think it's going to be pretty commonplace for physical therapists, and I hope it is. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of putting it out there into the universe. Yeah. But I'm hoping musculoskeletal ultrasound becomes more ubiquitous because um, there's so much we can do with it, and not just related to nerve injuries, but the pictures you can get of the rotator cuff yep. to guide your treatment are just so helpful, so helpful uh, to determine if you can really make some significant difference or if they need to have surgery or if they have carpal tunnel, uh, carpal tunnel symptoms, you know, take a picture of the nerve as it goes through the, as it passes through the, the carpal tunnel. I mean, is it really compressed? Is it inflamed? Is it scarred? Uh, what's going on in there? Is there a, a, a bun, uh, not a bunion, what's it called? ganglion yeah you know that could be impinging upon it well no matter how much physical therapy you do nothing's going to change that ganglion right so they need to have surgery and then they it can help guide the it. treatment yeah that kind of, it's that kind of stuff that i think these diagnostic tests will will help our profession in a huge way and, and to really become the gatekeepers that i think the apta wants us to become or said they that we should become by 2020 um, if we don't have some diagnostic tools in our back pocket like these, then I don't think that we're really truly becoming the musculoskeletal gatekeepers that we should be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to hear you plug the, the musculoskeletal ultrasound. I have a friend who she does, she contracts with, um, it's, it's not workman's comp, but she goes directly to employers and does that on site with their people. And I mean, it's oh, like once awesome. a month she comes, she screens everybody, you know, we've got like a chicken processing plant. So she's checking everybody's rotator cuff, their carpal tunnels. Um, nice. and she's like, just from, she, she's a, one of those people that has like all the data and tracks it all and has a spreadsheet, but mm -hmm. she's able to show like, listen, we came and we did these uh, these diagnostic ultrasounds in your clinic, we were able to catch, you know, 15 of your people before they, you know, developed something that requires surgery or more time out. And there, nice. there's a lot of value add for being able to catch wow. it early. And something like the, the musculoskeletal ultrasound lets you do that, which is cool. That's so. super cool. I haven't, I hadn't heard of that before, but what, you know, I have had a friend of mine and he's been on my podcast, Bart McDonald in Idaho. He uses musculoskeletal ultrasound or he trains all of his providers on it. And every shoulder that comes in is going to get an ultrasound no matter what. Yeah. Because he, he just finds too often um, that there are issues or there aren't issues that they thought might be there that allows them to look in other places. Right. And he said it, it just becomes a filtering system for them. That's just been too helpful to not do. And so the cool thing is they'll take the pictures at the initial evaluation. Uh, they'll take the picture, another picture six weeks later and compare. And what's really cool is you can actually see how the improvement, see your impact of therapy on that patient's rotator cuff tendon. Uh, like here was, here it was at this point is this there, here's this fraying. Um, there's this much tear. And then six weeks later, some of that's filled in. Look at that. It's an improvement. And, and you can just all see it visually. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. Awesome. Cool deal. Well, we're um, nearing the hour here. So um, I always end with this. Um, obviously, we're, we'll give a plug to the the podcast and and your, your coaching and all that in the show notes. But if there's just one thing you want uh, someone to walk away with or someone to walk away with from the episode, maybe about uh, using diagnostics or maybe just about being a PT clinic owner in general, uh, what would it be? Mm. Wow. One thing that would be, so I, I'm assuming that your audience is similar to mine and that they're, these are typically uh, clinic owners yep. who are probably treating uh, most of the time, if not all the time and running the business on the side, a lot of the time. Yeah. That sound about right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, my mantra is three things, reach out, step out and network. So number one, reach out, get some help. Uh, you are, a, if you're an owner of a business, remember you're an owner first and a technician or what otherwise a physical therapist second, you need to learn how to become a business owner, know your KPIs, take responsibility for all the crap that's going on in your business and learn how to be a better leader, right? Run it like a real business slash organization. And if you're wanting to make a million dollars, run it like a million dollar company, even if you're making 200,000. People don't start running a million dollar company um, 
when they make a million dollars, they run it like a million dollar company. Yeah. And that helps them get there (laughs) in order to get there. Right. So reach out and get some help. Number two, step out, get out of patient care. And it doesn't have to be entirely, but start with a minimum one to two half days a week. Right. Start there. I like to say that your business's love language is quality time. And (laughs) if you're not giving it quality time, it's not going to pay you back. Right. So give it some quality time to review your metrics, talk to your team, coach your team, hold your team accountable, look at your metrics, make marketing plans. If that's what you need to do, make recruiting plans. That's the big issue nowadays. We can't find therapists, but have a strategy for recruiting and work on that in those half days. So take two half days out of your work week to work on your business, not a Saturday and not a Sunday during the week. Right. And then network. You're not alone. I mean, a lot of times you can be an owner. You feel like you're on an island, uh, just kind of swimming up against the grain all by yourself. There are a ton of resources out there. And it's one thing to read the books and read the articles and get the emails. It's another thing to interact with other small business owners one-on-one in person. We're doing it, yeah. Um, yeah, do that. Do Join a local, uh, what is it, BNI as a networking group join uh we were part of entrepreneurs organization called accelerator for businesses that made less than a million dollars and none of none of those people in my group were physical therapists they were other small business owners so we and surprisingly we all have the same issues yeah (laughs) just in different industries uh and they have some solutions for you in your industry even though they're not pts right uh and usually it's about how you should act as an owner not necessarily how you should run your business. And so that's really helpful to talk to other owners, but even um, the American Physical Therapy Association, Association, the APTA has the peer-to-peer networks uh, where they will group PT owners from different parts of the country to become mastermind groups and they can determine how often and how frequently they need to meet, but they, they're able to collaborate with each other and network. And that's super helpful and will help. and everyone's businesses just seem to improve as we work together on this thing. It's the, it's the one plus one equals three type of situation. Yeah. So reach out, step out, network. Awesome. Cool deal. And where can people find, uh, find you find the podcast if they want to look up rise diagnostics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, the website is PTO club.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, of course, uh, the podcast, I've been doing podcasts for about four and a half years now, about the time that I sold, uh, started doing the podcast. And I, what I do, like you, I interview successful PT owners or people in the industry uh, to share successful actions and what they think about what's going on and how to improve as business owners. It has nothing to do with patient care. It's all about yeah. business ownership. So I've been doing that for about four years. We probably have about 300 episodes out there. Um, and I, I think they're pretty quality episodes if i do say so myself so you can check that out that's on apple and stitcher and sound it's physical therapy owners club uh, just punch that into your podcast app and you should be able to find us pretty quickly and then if you want to reach out to me directly it's nathan at ptoclub.com cool deal well nathan thanks so much for sharing your time man rafi i'm so excited that you asked me to come on your show i don't get to be a guest so often so that's kind of cool <laughs> Tables have turned. Yeah. (laughs) Right, right, right. I love it. I love it. I love what you're doing. All right. Take it easy, man. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Nathan Shields. He's obviously got his hand in a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I love meeting with and talking with other PT practice owners, mainly just to satisfy my own (laughs) need and desire to, like he said, network. Um, I think those three points that he gave at the very end are the key. If you don't walk away with anything else from this episode, um, reach out, step out, and network um, are the, basically what we could name this episode. I think it, it's great. A lot of times, and I've come across this tons, even now that I'm doing a lot of work in the healthcare technology space, working with clinicians who've stepped into some kind of management or founder role in a tech company, running a business can be very lonely. A lot of times, especially in, in the clinical world, um, Many clinicians, and we've talked about this. I can't remember what episode we talked about this on. I'm going to have to go dig it up and I'll put it in the show notes. But like the risk profile of clinicians, maybe it was the Build Your Team episode. And the the guest, Dr. Neil, said, if you think about it, most people go into healthcare, many people go into healthcare 
for a couple reasons. One, they see it as a calling or a vocation. They want to serve. This is how they're going to make their better their mark on the world or the world a better place because of them having been in it. And that's wonderful and great. And they've also been told that healthcare is a safe, secure, stable job, right? It's a safe, secure, stable career. There are always going to be sick people. There's always going to be need for licensed clinicians. So what that means is that there's a, a skewed risk profile, if you would, for clinicians um, to be employed in an organization as opposed to starting an organization, starting a clinic, starting a, a software company or something like that, and stepping out into the role of entrepreneurship because there's a lot more uncertainty there. And many clinicians don't like that uncertainty. I mean, anybody who has tried to change the workflows of a clinic or implement a new EMR or home exercise program or anything like that, a new way of doing things, understands the challenge that clinicians don't like change, they don't like uncertainty. So um, being able to step out to get some assistance, but then also networking with other people who are in that same in the same journey. They might not be at the same po point in the journey. They might be doing something totally different. I was on a call the other day with a physical therapist who runs uh, a technology comp company, a software company, an app basically. Um, and they had the same kind of questions and uncertainties around certain functions and parts of their business as a clinic owner that I was talking to an hour before. So a lot of the the insight and a lot of the the value in networking is not so much that you're going to learn how to run your specific business better, but as Nathan said, you get some insight into how to be a business owner, which I think is is very valuable. So hopefully that helps. We've already run long enough, so I'm going to end it here. If you like the show, head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. It helps people find us. If you want to be notified when we drop new episodes, head on over to www.betteroutcomes.show and sign up there. We'll send you the show notes, uh, links to our guests, uh, connections, websites, LinkedIn, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and if you are a practice owner and you're looking to um, square up some of your, maybe your marketing and or your technology uh, implementation in your clinic, head on over to rehabupracticesolutions.com, click on what we do and uh, read a little bit about us. I'd love to have a conversation with you and see if there's any way I can help. Until the next time, folks, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.